does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Jake slamming Sammy Ellinger under center this Sunday for the Colts. I think easily the biggest positive from a playing style standpoint is the Colts will have a threat to extend plays, a threat to make some plays with his legs. By no means do I want people to think that Ellinger is, you know, Lamar Jackson in the open field. Um, but he is a guy that showed it in the preseason, certainly showed it at Texas. I think he's got a nice knack for knowing kind of when to escape, when to try and scramble, keep some plays alive. Um, and I think that will greatly help an area of the offense that obviously was not there with Matt Ryan. Um, you know, I know we kind of tongue in cheek with the Marcus Brady comments last segment, but, you know, his ability to do some bootleg stuff, to get out of the pocket. If anything, it just keeps an extra defender honest. And with the run game a little bit struggling right now, now Washington on Sunday has to have a linebacker or a defensive end that says, oh, wow, you know, that number four can actually do something with his legs. And that should, I think, open some things up in the run game. And then when you get to third down, it's an extra element away from, you know, the X's and O's that you draw up on the whiteboard. Yeah, listen... I'm intrigued by what he can do. My concern a little bit, Kevin, and you tell me if this makes sense, is I I like the fact that Ellinger has more mobility and that that... I don't know that you lean on that or design for that, but that that allows for, perhaps as their offensive line still is trying to find its way, a little more flexibility to extend plays. But my concern would be that the Colts are... are looking to that as kind of a bailout of the issues in their offense. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, I I hear you out, but Jake, I would argue it's a necessary requirement for an NFL quarterback today. I think you look at the top QBs in the league today, all of them have some threat with their legs. Um, And so I, I think it's just critical to have that. I think as you see more of kind of the infiltration of the college game, to the NFL, the run-pass option stuff. I think now you'll see some of that from Ellinger on Sunday. You know, bailout, I feel like it's such a negative connotation with it. It's an offense right now that needs a spark. Right, that's fair. And I think Ellinger can give you some of that. Can he keep a third down alive? Can he keep a drive alive with his legs? Because he is going to have to offset, I think, some of the concern you do have as him as a pocket passer. Like, Ellinger's not throwing the ball 58 times like we saw with Jacksonville a couple weeks ago. Um, And that would not be a way to sustain things. I do think the biggest concern of him out of Texas, and obviously it'll be on full display Sunday, is just what does that NFL arm look like against real NFL talent? In the preseason, and no fault to him, but, you know, he was going up against guys that, you know, probably do want to play for the Barcelona Dragons. And getting third team reps and you know very few second team reps. I guess it more so would have been last preseason than this preseason. Um, he's worked a lot on his arm strength. 
He got very kind of scientific in describing that, working with Tom House, the former major leaguer, kind of the quarterback guru, and really has kind of rebuilt his throwing motion and feels like it's a long, but he said it was about a two-year process, so he's not even into the first full year of it, but felt like, and I think you could see some strides there in the preseason, but again, seeing it at Grand Park, seeing it against the Detroit Lion third stringers is different than a first-team NFL defense in a real game when they're actually game planning for you. So I think that's the biggest question. Can he fit, you know, throwing arm strength, velocity, can Sam Ellinger fit balls into some tight windows? You know, I keep going back to, Kevin, the discussion I've had with so many people over the course of the years in covering the NFL is the collapsed time of windows. For the best of the best, for Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning's arguably the greatest quarterback of all time. And Peyton Manning in his first year, you know, he led the NFL in interceptions by a rookie. And if you were to hear Peyton Manning explain it or ask Peyton Manning about it, he would tell you a large part of that was breaking the habit of the reactionary time necessary from college to the pros. By that I mean, and Peyton Manning was at Tennessee, so he's playing against Alabama and Auburn. And, you know, granted, Sam Ellinger was at Texas, so he's also playing against great competition. But when you drop back and you are looking and you've got a receiver that has a two yard gap on a closing defensive back, you make that throw in college and you complete it nine times out of 10. At the professional level, that you think to yourself that you've got two seconds, and in college, you've got two seconds to get that ball there. At the professional level, you've got one point two or a second, you know. So, you know, Jeff George has talked about who who has arguably the greatest arm of all time in terms of accuracy and velocity, and Jeff George has talked about the difficulty in training himself. To know that that window, it, it just slams shut. Yeah. And that's what's going to be Ellinger's biggest learning curve, I think. Even Kevin Frum, and you and I talked about it yesterday, what will be interesting to me will be to see the the difference between the professional game, excuse me, between the college game and professional preseason you know, when Sam Ellinger was playing really well in the preseason for the Colts, he was playing against, what, 60% of the guys on the field are still playing on Sundays? The rest of them are probably like in the... Oh, I, I'd say 20%. Right. And playing, you mean playing special so, teams, not playing on defense. Yeah, so that so that differential between the college game and what he saw at the preseason level is what percent of the change that he's now going to see from the preseason level to regular season. Well, Jake, to that point, I would argue, again, the biggest issue for him Sunday is now a team is game planning against him. Gus Bradley, for example, defense coordinator here in Indy, last year he was the defense coordinator for the Raiders in the week that Carson Wentz got COVID and it was Colts Raiders. So for a week, Gus Bradley thought Sam Ellinger might be the opposing quarterback. And Gus was talking about it yesterday. They watched all the preseason film on Ellinger. They watched all the Texas film. On Ellinger. So, for the first time since Sam Ellinger played at Texas, he now is 
going to be in a game where the team is actually game planning for him. Right. Whereas the Detroit Lions in the third quarter of the preseason game in August are running their own defense, and they don't care if it's P.J. Walker, Jacob Eason, or Sam Ellinger. Now the Commanders, with a very formidable defensive front, and Jack Del Rio will be actually game planning for Ellinger. I think to your point about like college open versus high school open versus NFL open, you know, throwing with anticipation at the NFL level is a much different animal than college or the NFL, or at college or high school. Jake, when Sam Ellinger gets on the practice field here in about four hours, it's probably going to be the first extensive time that he's thrown to Pittman. Yeah, that timing Mo is... Mo Alley-Cox. Correct. That timing is huge, right? You know, Paris Campbell. Well, Alec Pierce. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, Pierce and Woods right. would fall into the category now, for any rookie. So, I think that is something that, you know, what does the timing look like with these new guys? Not only timing of trying to get the ball into tight windows with an actual NFL defense, but doing it with new personnel. Which do you think feels like it's moving at a faster rate when you are a new quarterback? That collapse between defensive back and receiver or the pocket collapsing? And, and that that clock in your head of like I've got like you know yeah. in college you get okay I got six seven seconds whatever and at the NFL level it's like man your head's especially right now right with this offensive line it's probably uh, that's what a little I mean. bit more pocket collapsing that's what I mean. but if you weren't as worried about that as you are I would think a little bit more back end well, one other thing I do want to add on, on Ellinger. And again, this is a huge like Peyton Manning core quarterback belief. And I know we've touched on it prior, but I think it's super relevant in going from Matt Ryan to Sam Ellinger. Manning has always said one of, if not the most important jobs for a quarterback is to get the offense out of a bad play. Correct. That's what he always said, right? Was It wasn't about finding a good play. It was about getting out of a bad one. Have a chance to succeed. And I think what you saw with Matt Ryan is he didn't get the Colts out of bad plays, and when the bad plays showed up, he made him catastrophic. That's If Ellinger can just, again, take those interceptions and turn them into punts, that would keep the Colts in, I think, several of these games that they have not been in yet. Uh, Kevin, want to talk wide receiver growth? Hey, what's up, Kevin? Uh, Kevin, I want to talk wide receiver, bro. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to uh, first nice say that Kevin. Jake nice is the, I love listening to Jake in the morning in particular. Um, that's why I never turn my radio down, because I don't want to miss anything he says. Sounds like Peanuts. <laughs> right? It's the teacher from Peanuts. Wah, 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 wah. Stephen Holder going to join us in a few here. Again, Dustin Depirak around 9 o'clock as we start to get into college basketball season. We'll chat about Indiana, Purdue, and Butler all coming up. I forgot about Michael Lewis and Ball State. Heck yeah. Telling you, man, they're fired up. Chirp, chirp. Austin Parkinson, the new Butler women's coach, right? Correct. Coming from IUPUI. Um, Again, Taylor Heineke and Sam Ellinger this Sunday. The Colts favored by three. That that continues to surprise you a bit? Are they still televising that game? Like outside of, do you think that game, how many people across the country are getting that game? Well, look at the window it's in. 425 window. So what? It goes up against one other game, right? Boy. Boy. On the call, speaking of Butler, is one Brendan Gauden. That's right. There's actually three 425 games. So it's three on Fox. Washington at Colts. Uh, Niners at Rams. That'll probably be the big one. 
and then Giants at Seahawks. Niners Rams is a good one, and Giants Seahawks is surprisingly a better mm-hmm. matchup than anybody thought. Right, the two surprise teams. And yeah. look, I mean, look at those markets. Those markets are big. But Jake, to your point, I mean, doesn't Washington have a lot of national clout? Yeah, uh, regional for sure. I, does it have still have? Not, I mean, I guess it does because they're a big brand, right? But I mean, I, it has national clout when they have their regular starting quarterback and their owners not trying to get ousted from the league. Three intrastate matchups this week: Bengals Browns, Rams Forty Niners. Care to guess the third? Cowboys Texans. No. Uh... Dolphins Bucks. Good against bad. Not Dolphins Bucks. Really good against bad. Ooh, there's only one team in Missouri. Uh I wouldn't go to Missouri then. <laughs> Intra squad game. I don't know. Eagle Steelers. Yeah, Steelers are bad. Stephen Holder joins us on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Stephen, of course, with the Athletic, nope, their nope. NFL writer and ESPN, as well right? Colts. Did I say Athletic? ESPN.com, sorry. Stephen, sorry about that. Uh, old habits die hard. I knew I'd do that eventually, but Stephen Holder with ESPN.com covering the NFL and the Colts. And I'm going to begin with this question, Stephen, with my apologies. Um, this move that came out this week in terms of Sam Ellinger being upgraded as the starting quarterback – what percent of that is because of the owner's belief in Sam Ellinger, and what percent of it is because of the financials of Matt Ryan's injury if the Colts have decided that he is not going to be on the roster next year? Okay, so that makes sense. Well, first of all, I was told there would be no math, so Kevin, this is on you. Yeah, okay. sorry, Stephen. Right. Jake's so, doing algebra, so he's got me on this math. We're all frazzled right in here. All right, I'm just making sure. It's too early for that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I've had a lot of jobs. It's all good. Um, so, <laughs> look, I, I think I, there is a consideration, certainly, with Matt Ryan's uh, future obligations. And so I think the number is an additional 16 or 17 million, I think, if, if the Colts were on the hook for all of his 2023 salary, right? Uh, as it stands now, I believe the number is somewhere like 12 to 15 million. I, I, I should know this. I think it's 12 I, I guaranteed already and yeah. then 17 is up in the air. There you go. Okay, so I was right. So I, I think that is significant. Don't get me wrong. I do think that is significant. However, I don't think that's driving this. I really don't. I, I really don't think that's driving this. I do think Jim Ursay is definitely pushing this and, and is a big reason, if not the reason, this is happening. Don't get me wrong. But I don't think that's the biggest reason. I, I really think this boils down to a couple things. If you're Jim Mercy, you're looking at this team right now, and, and I'm not even saying I necessarily agree. I don't, know what, I don't know if I would have done this, right? But I also can understand that you're looking at this desperate situation on your, uh, you know, with your offense and thinking, okay, well, what buttons can we press? They have tried five different offensive line combinations. They've tried to run it. They've tried to throw it. They've tried to play quick. They've played slow. None of it has worked. And as the owner, you're very used to, or any boss in any organization, you're very used to 
you know, being able to, to dictate changes that you think will, will lead to results, except none of the changes have led to, re- to results. So this is the only card left to play. <laughs> it really is. And, and again, like I said, I don't know if I would have done it, but I, don't, I also get the fact that the reality is, what else are you going to do at this point? And, and then, frankly, look, Matt Ryan's injury was the opportunity. I know what Frank said, that they would have done this anyway, I, I'm skeptical. Let's just put it that way. I'm skeptical. Not because I thought Matt Ryan was doing a great job. No. I mean, we've talked about this week in, week out. The fact is, though, I, I just didn't really see any, any momentum uh, from the coaching staff to want to go to Sam Ellinger. I think that momentum came from elsewhere. To that point, Stephen, again, and I think you, you've hit on this, Jim Mercer believes this, is, this can help the Colts in the short term. Like, he literally thinks that, again, Ellinger can be an upgrade right now. I, I, I'm curious, and I guess it's a bit of an unknown, what do you think the overall sentiment is in that locker room on that? Do you think it's a bigger chunk of guys that are saying, good, Matt Ryan led us and led the NFL in turnovers. He was killing us. I'm glad he got benched. Or is there some guy saying, wait, we're 3-3-1, three, three and one, a game and a half back of the Titans, and we're going to a guy who's never thrown a pass in the NFL? I think it's probably a mix. And I I think, listen, I was in that locker room on Sunday and I I said this to JMV the other night. No one in that locker room on defense said, man, you know, that offense over there not pulling their weight. Like, no one said that. And and I I, I think this has a lot of character. What's that? But were they thinking it? Well, that's what I'm getting to. There was a little bit, I I don't know, it, it just felt like they kind of felt defeated, you know? And and maybe I'm reaching. Maybe I'm reaching. I, I can admit that. But it did feel like in talking to defensive players, they were like, what do you want me to say, man? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, dude, we just went out there and, you know, and and played car crash, bumper cars with, with you know, Derrick Henry for four quarters and didn't allow a touchdown. What do you want me to say? You know what I mean? And we just kind of looked there at each other and just kind of shrugged and like, you know what? You're right. You know? (laughs) So I guess what I'm saying is there's frustration in that regard. Not, not anger. It wasn't anger, but I think there's frustration, you know? And, And so when you have that, maybe you're open to whatever at that point, you know what I mean? Um, but I, but I also think there's a little bit of head scratching, like, you know, do we know what we're doing and where, what's, what's going to happen? I think there's, so I think there's just some uncertainty. I know this isn't necessarily moving the ball forward on the question. It's just, it's, it's complicated. I, I just don't know that there's a, an overwhelming sentiment one way or the other. I think guys are, are open-minded because the results aren't there, but I think there's also a recognition. You got a lot of veteran players over there on defense in particular who have seen a lot and, and they probably are smart enough to understand that this is a little bit of a desperate move by a desperate team. That's a bad place to be. Does it kind of put Steven Sam Ellinger in a bad spot? Because, listen, it's a great opportunity for him. There's the, you know, maybe this guy is the diamond in the rough. But yet, 
he now represents to a lot of people, be it fair or not, be it accurate or not, there are those that will see Sam Ellinger as representative of a franchise that has ripped off the Band-Aid and turned the page towards the future instead of focusing on the now. And are there people within the locker room that feel that way? And does it put him in a bad situation amongst those around him? Well, I, I can't speak to how how the others in the locker room feel about that, but I but I would say, you know, does it put Sam Ellinger in a tough spot? Yeah, it does. I I think either there's two there's two ways of of thinking about this problematically for fans. Number one, there are people who will think that he's the answer, <laughs> which and he may turn out to be. And and let me tell you, damn it, I'll, I'll be here to write that story. I'm all for it. Okay, let's. Let's write a great, happy ending to this thing. That's, that's fantastic. But obviously the odds are against that. History tells us he's probably not that guy, right? Then there's also what you said, which is, you know, he, he kind of represents almost giving up on, on the route they were going and, as you said, turning the pace to the future, ripping off the Band-Aid, I think is a good way of putting it. And, you know, it almost makes you sort of a – if it, unless he's the guy, it kind of makes him a placeholder until they find the guy, you know? So I don't know. I, I do think for Sam, I'll say this. It, it's a, it's a great opportunity for him. It's a great opportunity. And, and, and he will rise to the occasion, certainly from a, from a leadership standpoint and from a composure standpoint, like he will rise to the occasion. I have zero, zero, zero doubt about that. He is so impressive. But he's going to have to step up and he's going to have to make plays under really difficult circumstances. And I'll, I'm going to wrap this up in a second. But, you know, I, I hear a lot of comparisons to you know, Jalen Hurts and Lamar Jackson, not in terms of talent, but in terms of style, right? All these quote-unquote running quarterbacks. The key is, okay, what all of those guys do, the reason they are dangerous is because at some point, when it comes down to it, they're able to stand in the pocket and make really tough throws, and that is what it's going to take. He's going to have to, have to, have to do that, or this will be a disaster. It is a golden opportunity for Sam Ellinger. Oh, I mean, six-round picks dream of potentially having 10 starts in their second NFL season, and right now, that's what it's it looks the, like for Ellinger. It's ever happened to him. Say it again. By far. It's it's the best thing that has ever happened to them. Oh, it's I mean it's again, incredible. Late day three picks at quarterback, looking for job interviews. Again, it's a golden golden opportunity for him. Stephen Holder from ESPN.com with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Stephen, do you think Jim Mercey has made his 2023 decision on Chris Ballard and or Frank Reich, or is that still up in the air? Well, I, I would say. Honestly, from the from the coaching standpoint, the, the Ballard question is a little more complicated, and I'll get to that in a second. I think with the coaching question with Frank Reich, I mean, if this is what it looks like, if if the owner is stepping in and, and adamantly pushing for a lineup change at quarterback, you have basically undermined your head coach, in my opinion. I, I don't know how else to look at it. And I'm not even saying that Jim Mercer is right or wrong. That's a whole other question. All I'm saying is when it gets to that point, <laughs> when you're no longer, when you're no longer, you know, when you no longer have autonomy over, over the, the quarterback decision, I mean, what are we talking about? You know what I mean? Right. So it sure as hell looks like it. 
I can't say that. I don't know. He hasn't told me that, him being Jim Irsay. But, I mean, the actions speak louder than words here. Don't you think? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of truth behind that. Um, it, Ballard situation, you think just a little bit more complicated? And, and I guess based off your answer there, I would assume you don't think these two are tied at the hip? I, I just, well, I, I, I haven't. I haven't gotten there yet. And oftentimes, and we know this, um, I've seen this in many other situations, the situations are different. And you judge your coach and GM differently because their jobs are different. And the other thing is, look, the, the fact is the, the, the general manager works with the owner in a much closer capacity. Uh, the nature of the relationship is different. I'm not saying that he ha- that that Jim Mercy likes Chris Ballard better than Frank Wright. I am not saying that. I'm just saying the nature of their jobs are different. Uh, the general manager deals with the owner on a much different level just because of the nature of his job. And so sometimes that leads to a, a, the relationship being different and a greater understanding of, of why the general manager does what he does. I, I don't know. Um, and oftentimes the, the owner tends to see the coach, and I'm not talking about these guys, I'm talking about in general, the, the owner's view of the coach oftentimes comes through the prism of the general manager because that is who they're working in tandem with oftentimes, you know, and, and, and often having conversations with. So I, I don't know. I guess what I'm saying is it's a little more complicated and it's just hard to tell. It's just hard to tell. Um, look, all I can say is, I mean, he – Jamerce hired a general manager before they hired a coach. Those two moves were made separately the last time. And maybe that's a reason not to do it again. Maybe it is a reason to tie them at the hip because that did get a little messy. Um, So we'll see. I don't know. I don't know on Chris Ballard. I really don't. Steven, speaking of, um, you know, getting complicated, I I know this will stun you. Stephen Holder's our guest from ESPN.com. I, I, next Wednesday, Jake will be gone. He'll be in Europe if that entices you at all to, <laughs> to hop on to well, what? But he's coming back or no? <laughs> uh, I'll be back Thursday. Uh, I come back Wednesday, but I'm back on the show Thursday. But sometimes I I, I overthink things probably. So I am it, stunned. Actually. I know. Yeah. And, and Stephen, uh, you're, a, you're a sound, very rational and calm dude. So sometimes you're the one that I lean on <laughs> and I go, am I overthinking this? So we're going to play that game right now i had mentioned yesterday that when frank reich came out and said and i'm paraphrasing but he basically said like hey i told matt ryan like we 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 didn't deliver what we promised we told him that we would have a great running game and we'd protect him and we failed to do that and granted frank reich did say like you know that that's on me in the offense um that to me also was a subtlety maybe not even consciously but a subtlety by frank reich of Hey, this isn't all on me. We didn't construct this team properly for Matt Ryan to have the pieces necessary. And to me, it was an indictment all the way across the board. Your thoughts? I'm not prepared to say that. Now, I'll tell you why. Because I, I think what the way I interpreted what you just outlined, and that's that's a pretty good representation of what Frank Reich said. Uh, the way I interpreted it was that was a reference to the sales pitch, frankly, that Frank Reich gave Matt Ryan when, when they talked about, you know, potentially putting this together. Because even though this was a trade, 
ultimately Matt Ryan had sign off on it. The, you know, the Falcons gave him that ability to to say yay or nay, and so it was up to the Colts to kind of sell him on on why this was a good fit. And he had done his due diligence. He called Peyton Manning. He talked to other people, and then he had a, I believe, a, a, a two-hour uh, video conference with Frank and his coaches and Chris Ballard. And that was really that was the sales pitch. And the pitch was, look, we will protect you. We've got the leading rusher. We've got the returning rushing champion in the NFL and Jonathan Taylor. Like, this is going to be the best situation you've ever been in, and you're just going to be basically along for the ride and just make the occasional big throw when we need you to. That was his sales pitch. And Matt Ryan said, I'm in, because it sounded great. <laughs> it just, and I think as Frank Reich outlined very, very well, that was not the case. So I, that's what I think he was referring to. Now, that being said, I, I do think there were some missteps made along the way here that really uh, are, are probably more about roster construction than the actual coaching. Frank has taken a lot on the chin here. I will say this. Look, overall, look, I think as we sit here today, I see it's, he's going to have a hard time surviving this. But step, take a step back, and in the end, regardless of whose fault it is, I mean, who's surprised that Frank Reich isn't going to make it if that ends up being the case, when he's had different quarterbacks five straight years. Like, duh. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to get footing, man. And, and Stephen, you and I both know, I mean, you've covered a lot of teams. You've covered the Bucks, You've covered the Colts. I think there are a lot of Colts fans that, and I don't mean that condescendingly, understandably so because of the fact that you went from one franchise quarterback to the next uh, this is the norm in the NFL. This is life in the NFL for most people, right? Like most people, most franchises are constantly searching, and it's hard to find that guy. Well, I mean, th- th- there's so many examples. And I mean, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago going into the Broncos game and the parallels there. I think the Broncos had something like nine starting quarterbacks between Peyton Manning and Russell Wilson, <laughs> not to say that Russell Wilson is working out, right? But I think there were something like nine starting quarterbacks in the six or seven years. And here's what's interesting. Unlike the Colts, who have had one coach with, through all these quarterback changes because Frank Reich has kind of kept things afloat, the Broncos had multiple coaches because none of them could keep the team afloat through that. So maybe that's a, maybe that's a, a, a feather in Frank Reich's cap that he – you know, that he was able to, to somehow survive this long under the circumstances. You know, it's not a defense. I'm just saying oftentimes when that's the situation, the coaches, they can't rise above it and, and they fizzle out pretty quickly. Uh, you know, you talked about other team situations. I mean, you know, look, we're in the Midwest. People here are very familiar with the Chicago Bears. I mean, we're talking 50 years, right, since they've had a, a, a consistent quarterback situation. You know, Jim McMahon notwithstanding. Uh, the Miami Dolphins, my hometown team, right? I mean, maybe two is the guy, but I mean, Dan Marino retired a long time ago, right? I and mean, we could go on and on and on. It's uh, it's a terrible place to be, and and I guess that's the argument for going and making a dramatic move because the alternative could be even worse than we realize right now. Stephen, last one from me, and again, Stephen Holder from ESPN.com with us here on the Payless Lickers Hotline. Whether it's wins and losses, whether it's specific stats, whether it's more of an eye 
test. What would Sam Ellinger have to show the Colts in the next 10 weeks to take quarterback off the board come next April? Hmm. Good question. I, I really think that he would, it, it would have to be more than just, you know, sort of a, an emotional lift, right? Because I think sometimes young quarterbacks or, you know, sort of new quarterbacks can come in and give the team a lift, right? Yeah, P.J. Walker and, with Carolina. Right, right. But it, it, ha- it can't just be emotional. It can't. Don't fall into that trap, man. I'm telling you. Don't fall into that trap. I'm not rooting against this kid. I mean, I want to be clear, but I'm answering the question. You know what I mean? I don't want people to misunderstand me. I hope this works out. I love Sam, and I'm tired of covering quarterback changes, let me tell you. So selfishly, I hope the thing works out. But it, but it can't just be about, oh, well, you know, he's, he's a good leader, and, he's, and he gave us an emotional lift, and we won a couple games. It can't be that, man. It's got to be this, this kid showed it. He's got the tools, and – he can make the throws, frankly. And it can't just be, oh, he, he makes some good runs. No, I don't want to hear that. It's got to be he can be a quarterback who can do all of the things that are required to be a, a long-term starting quarterback in the NFL. And that's not to say that he, he can't play well enough that he can be in the mix next year. But if you're talking about like saying, all right, he's our guy going forward, it's got to be like clear-cut. It can't be like mealy mouth. This has to be clear. Stephen, last question from me. Stephen Holder, our guest. You know, you cover, obviously, beyond just the Colts. You're around the league and watching things. We were just talking about, um, I think it's intriguing that Seattle's taking on the Giants. I know people around here might not have a lot of concern about that game, but those are two teams that probably have exceeded expectation. They're getting better quarterback play than they anticipated. Kevin and I talked about this this morning. Could there be a team that has put themselves in better position than where they thought they would be right now that feels like if their quarterback went down, a Matt Ryan trade deadline type acquisition for three to five weeks can keep them afloat and in the mix, a San Francisco. Or Foles, yes. Foles, too. That's a good point, Kevin. Uh, Are either of those two guys' possibilities to be moving on? Uh, that's a good question. I, I, I guess you know those two teams you mentioned. They are they are good examples, but I, I don't know. I, I just think that the, the funny thing is the teams that are struggling. A lot of the teams that are struggling are teams where they're never going to sit the quarterback. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the the Packers ain't sitting their quarterback. <laughs> the Bucks aren't sitting their quarterback. And, and these are teams that are struggling. You know, the Rams are they're not sitting their quarterback. Now, none of those guys are playing great. And some in some of their cases like the Bucks there are other issues too. It's not the quarterback per se. But my point is I, those are the teams that that kind of come to mind as as teams that are sort of you know, kind of you're waiting for them to get going but those aren't teams that are going to move the quarterback. So I think the answer is probably no. I don't see a really good market. And then the, the teams where, or some teams where we had huge quarterback questions, they are rolling. The Jets, the Giants, the Seahawks are viable right now, like you said. So I don't think it happens. I really don't think there's a market. I mean, the, maybe the only scenario, but this team's kind of out of it, is, is the Saints. I mean, they're 2-5. and five. I don't know where things stand right now, but I don't, I don't even think that's, the answer i mean what's the difference between what they've got you know so 
yeah, I don't, I don't see it. I really don't see it. Stephen Holder, again, ESPN.com. I know we're way over, Stephen, but I would agree with you. Uh, limited carries for Jonathan Taylor on Sunday, but I thought there were some flashes in the run game. And Taylor's health, I thought, looked particularly impressive that we have not seen in a few weeks. So uh, wondering if Sam Ellinger now at quarterback, a little bit of a run threat, what does that do for the run game? Stephen, as always, man, thank you. All right, guys, anytime. Quite the different preseason expectations in Bloomington than it has been in years past. Preseason ranked 13th. Mike Woodson's Hoosiers uh, first in the unofficial media poll. What looks like on paper a bit of a down year in the Big Ten. I think ESPN had that stat. It was the first time since 77. Didn't have a Big Ten team preseason ranked in the top 10. To talk more about Mike Woodson's second season at the helm. Dustin Apirak covers Indiana athletics for the Bloomington Herald Times. Joins us. Dustin, just your initial impressions of where you've seen IU pegged here preseason-wise. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it makes sense to me. I mean, I think there was starting to be a, a buildup of even more hype, and I, and I feel like there's been a leveling out of, of where it makes sense. I, mean, I think, uh, you know, I, I started to see uh, Indiana could be a Dark Horse Final Four, you know, maybe seven or eight. I, I thought Thir- you know, 13, um, I think it's what, 13 in the AP, and I think it's what, 14, 15 in the U- USA Today. Um, that makes sense to me. Uh, it's a potential Sweet 16, uh, potential Sweet 16 team. I think that's something that makes sense, but I, I don't know that they've got, um, I mean, uh, you know, obviously matchups or whatever, and, and a team that's really, you know, the 15th or 16th best team can end up in the Final Four, sure. Um, but but I think that makes sense. Obviously, they've got flaws. Obviously, they've got areas where they simply not proven. Um, you know, if they're going to be a good shooting team, it's going to be from guys that we haven't, you know, we haven't seen either freshmen or guys who haven't shot that much or haven't made a lot of shots. You know, somebody like Tamar Bates, I think, can obviously become a lot better shooter than he was a year ago. Um, you know, I don't think that's a, you know, I, I don't think he's, you know, um, just going to be held to that low baseline um, that, that he had last year. Um, so, but I, but I think obviously there's you, you still look at the roster and say, okay, eh, I don't know about this, I don't know about that. This isn't proven. Um, you know, I'm going to have to wait to see this piece of it and see how much better it gets. So, I, I think with all that considering, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and but they have a chance to you know end up with an inflated ranking by virtue of the fact that I, you know, again, I don't think that Big Ten is very good as you mentioned, um, or or more to the point, I have no idea how good the Big Ten is because there's just so much the part of town and, and there are teams that are you know built almost entirely on transfers especially you know Ohio State I think only brings back Zed Key and, and they're bringing in like four transfers to start and a whole bunch of freshmen you know even a team like Michigan's got a Hunter Dickinson that gives you kind of a baseline with a great player is, is losing four starters Illinois is in a similar scenario um, so you know they could end up ranked higher if they win the Big Ten by a couple of games um, but I, I think that's where, where a lot of the pieces come in or, or why they are where they are and I think it makes makes sense for them to be in the 10 to 20 Dustin, I want to touch on something that you just mentioned there because it is probably the biggest burning question about Indiana. You know, I've talked to several people that have watched them, that have gone down there, that, that, you know, they they all say kind of the same thing. I get the same scouting report from everybody, and that is that they've got a lot of length this year, to use that buzzword. They're athletic. Jalen Hood Shafino apparently is as dynamic so far as build, but are they going to be able to shoot the ball? And I guess my question is, are they athletic and versatile enough offensively that they can get by without consistent outside three-point shooting? Um, 
there's got to be the threat. I, I think that's the thing, especially you, you and, and you see that once you get into Big Ten play and, and the game slows down a little bit. I mean, they've got to be able to space the floor enough that you're not, you know, you've, you've just seen it this last these last couple of years that, um, I mean, basically as long as I've been back covering this team since I returned in about 2018, uh, it usually takes about six, seven, eight games for everybody to realize, you know, all you got to do is pack the paint. Um, just put a bunch of bodies in there and, and dare Indiana to try to beat you outside, uh, and that'll work. And, and and Indiana will get some buckets on you, you know, from transition. You know, Trace can just score. Uh, you know, even if he's facing one or two bodies, you know, frequently he he can just get around guys and find a way to get buckets. Um, but you know, you'll you'll keep the rest of them from beating you. So there's got to be some shooting. I mean, I, I don't think they got to be able to make some. Um, and and I, but I think that's possible. I mean, I think um, you know they, they can get better. I, I don't think they have to be a top five, top three, three point shooting team to be good. Uh, if they're eighth or ninth and they're shooting thirty five percent, thirty six percent, where they finished last year, they were at thirty three. If they're at thirty five, thirty six, you know, and they're hitting, you know, two thirty, you know, two hundred thirty threes as a team for the season. Um, that'd go a long way. You know, it's just like they, they don't have to be a great shooting team with all the other talent they have. I, mean, I think one big difference with this team that you didn't have last year is you're going to have a lot of creators, uh, a lot of guys that can beat you off the bounce where you really only had a couple last season. If, you know, obviously you're still going to have Xavier Johnson. You saw him really be able to get downhill last year and, and get a lot of work done with pick and roll with, with, uh, with Jackson Davis. That's a big, big weapon. If Hood Shafino is as good as advertised and he can shoot it, that's a big deal. If Johnson can also shoot closer to where he was shooting at the end of last year, I mean, he ended up at 38% from three, 36-94. A lot of that, I think, came in the second half of the season. You know, you lose your best shooter in Stewart, but I mean, I think there's a chance Miller cops significantly better. I mean, I don't know that he's a, you know, he shot 36% last year. If you get him to 38-39, that helps. But I think a guy like Bates being able to shoot the basketball is a really big deal. I I think that's one guy to really circle as far as as that is concerned. I mean, he's looked really good in in the, you know, limited amount of stuff we've been able to see this season, uh, both shooting it from outside and, you know, getting worked on off the dribble. If if he's a guy that's a three-level scorer um, and you're getting 20 minutes out of him, 25 minutes out of him, um, you know, I, I think that makes a difference. Just being able to put three guys on the floor that can conceivably shoot matters. If Ruchifino is a good three-point shooter, you know, that matters. And I think he is. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if he's a great one, but I think he's a guy that can be high 30s. Um, so if, if you put enough piece, pieces out there, they're at least, you know, reasonable, um, you know, threats. Uh, you know, that makes a difference, and they can be a much, much better team. You just don't want a position where you could just throw four or five bodies around the paint, and that's enough to beat out you that's that's the important thing is they just can't get in that position yeah i'm guessing i you'll see a lot of zone this season from teams just forcing them to show off whatever perimeter shooting might be there again dustin depirak is with us here um from the bloomington herald times dustin i think tamar bates would fall into the category as like x factor if he takes a big jump that can be huge for this team i'm curious about a couple other guys that have been in the program for several years now and, and how you view their roles uh, one would be trey galloway who i know has been banged up at times and the other one would be a guy that i think has got a lot of potential and that would be jordan geronimo yeah no i think um you know with galloway obviously he had the uh it was a groin surgery this offseason. I think he had a thumb injury, too, if I'm not mistaken, but there was definitely the groin. Um, and so I think that he, he's, I think you, 
you know what you're going to get from him, him at least, like what his floor is. And, you know, that's a higher energy guy that's going to really defend, he's going to attack off the dribble, going to be able to finish, but it's going to pass the basketball. Um, and, you know, th- there's going to be value there. And so where does that fit exactly? I mean, I, I think, again, if Bates makes a leap, um, you know, then it's going to be hard for him to get minutes because, you know, Bates would be the more talented wing. I mean, there's there's a higher ceiling there. Um, and, you know, if Huchifino is going to play a lot of the two um, and, you know, you know, play along with Johnson, uh, you know, that's going to cut down his potential for minutes. So you might see Galloway play less, but I don't think you're going to see a different guy. I mean, I, I think you know what you're going to get from him at this point. And it's important. You know, it, again, it's a guy that can defend multiple positions, a guy that can really guard twos and threes and good ones. Um, you know, I mean, he did as good as anybody I saw, you know, um, guarding Jaden Ivey last season. So, I mean, like, he can take a premier, uh, you know, perimeter scorer. And, and there's not, there doesn't seem to be at this point one that stands out in the same way in the Big Ten uh, as did last year when there were several guys between him and you know Johnny Davis and uh, you know other other guys like that that Galloway had to guard. So I think he's still going to be a valuable part of the rotation, um, just because you just know that you're going to get that. You know you're going to get smart play, good passing, you know uh, uh, the ability to tackle off the dribble, you know high energy guy that gets after in transition, guy that really guards. Um, Geronimo, Geronimo is interesting. I think. Um, because it sounds like he made significant progress as far as being able to play the three. And I don't, I'm, I'm still waiting to see true proof on that. I mean, he looked a little bit better in the limited amount of stuff that we've been able to see between uh, Hoosier Hysteria and the Hoosier Hysterics event uh, that they had back in, um, what was it, August uh, at this point. Um, you know, so that, that I think is really important for him to find a way to get a little bit more minutes there. I mean, he's all, always had the ability to shoot from outside um, better than most guys his size. Uh, the issue has been, can he handle it out there? Um, because, I mean, he's had bad assistant t- to turn over ratios his first two seasons. Um, I think, what's he got last year? I mean, it was not a, it was not a good number at all. Um, but, so that's the thing, is, is, is can he handle it out there? Can he deal with defensive pressure if he's handing the ball on the perimeter? Um, so can you throw him out there, and can he defend out there? Obviously, I think he's been really effective as a power forward, uh, defending the types of guys you get there that can be a little bit inside and a little bit outside, but, but us, maybe a smaller guard. Can he guard a 6'5", you know, wing? Um, you know, can he keep that kind of guy in front of him, keep him getting beat down off the dribble? Um, so I, I think you've seen in, in limited spurts, some improvement there. Um, you know, the, the, the players, we got to talk to the players a lot at media day in, in kind of round table settings where they didn't have to kind of run everything by, uh, you know, a, an Indiana SID and, and get some kind of candid thoughts. And, and, you know, they said, Hey, you know, we are seeing real improvement there. We, we do think he's a lot better at handling the basketball. Um, you know, we think he can play real, you know, real minutes of the three. Um, so I think that's a question because I think Ray Thompson is still going to play a lot. I mean, it, you know, I, I could, it's not, crazy to me to imagine Geronimo sort of usurping him as the power forward just because you just see so much length, so much athleticism there, and the ability to really reap the basketball. As good as Race does, it jumped Geronimo's better per minute. Um, so he, he's obviously going to matter, and it's, it's just a question of can they steal some minutes from him at the three, and, and can he be trusted in those scenarios? Dustin Dobrak is our guest. He's on the Payless Stickers hotline. He is the Indiana Athletics beat writer for the Bloomington Herald Times and Indianapolis Star. Uh, Dustin, the local kid, C.J. Gunn, in terms of his contributions, is this a guy that is um, a, as soon as he steps on the floor, contributor for Indiana, or is he seen by Mike Woodson's staff more as a developed guy? I mean, I I think they like him. I'll, I, I, my read is developed guy only because, you know, at Hoosier Hysteria, they basically ran two um, – 
you know, like Woodson obviously likes his first unit and his second unit. And, you know, Gunn and Banks were not part of either. Uh, basically, they were sort of playing against each other like they weren't starting out there. But I think they really like him. Uh, so, and I think, and the same goes for Caleb Banks. I think both of those guys, you know, maybe on a, on a team that had a little bit less depth might get, uh, you know, more immediate run. And, you know, I, I think first off, I mean, he's definitely stronger. I mean, obviously, if you, if you saw him play at all in high school, you know, he didn't have a ton. He wasn't running around with a ton of muscle. Uh, but he's got more. He's, he's really been in the weight room, and I think he might have put on 15 pounds from what he told us. Um, but even just looking at him, he's, he's got a lot more definition, so he looks a lot more game ready. Um, and, it's a question of, okay, if some of those other guys don't, um, you know, maybe he is a guy that can more shoot the ball immediately. I mean, he's a guy that can move and shoot, uh, you know, shoot, shoot, you know, off the bounce. Uh, but being a catch-and-shoot guy, you know, can go to the rim, can do a lot of the things, has been able to do a lot of things at the high school level that they want that they've needed at the college level. Now the question is, you know, how immediately does it translate? So I, I think that's a question. I, I, I don't think... I don't know that you'll see him, um, you know, I don't want to say an opening night rotation, but like when they play Xavier in the Gavit, which is the first, you know, really, you know, serious competition they get. Does, does you know, CJ Gunn play 15 minutes in that game? I don't think so, but I, I you know, I, I've been, you know, I, I've, I, I've seen crazier things, I guess, and I wouldn't be shocked if, if the other guys have a hard time shooting. I think that's a really the big thing. If, if you don't see a lot of shooting from a Jalen Hood Shafino or, uh, you know, or Tamar Bates, if those guys aren't better shooters, and if, and if you don't get improvement from Miller Cobb, um, then you could see C.J. Gunn work his way into that if he's farther along in the shooting piece uh, than those guys are. But you know that there's going to be value there for him long-term as a shooter. Um, and he might be a development guy. I, I, like, I, I think you can trust that he's going to be pretty good at some point. I don't know if it's going to be immediate, um, but I, I think he's going to be a contributing guy at some point for Indiana. Dustin, I don't think anything official yet, but John Calipari certainly went, you know, pretty much there, agreed in principle, I believe was the phrase Calipari used um, at SEC Media Day about Indiana-Kentucky. Getting back on the schedule, I want to say I saw 2025, so we're still up. CJ Gunn would maybe be a senior in that game. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. What would be your best guess as, let's say it's a four-year agreement would you guess one on campus for each team and then maybe like a yum center in louisville and a gamebridge Fieldhouse in indy sort of rotation yeah well i mean i would think i wouldn't be surprised if there's two in indy because um i, I think you know kentucky had some interest in that at the time um and was i mean I, two I think, in indy and still one in bloomington yeah, well, well, Kentucky wasn't interested in that at the time. Kentucky was interested in playing two in Indy way back when. And, but, like, you got also got to remember then, you know, that was a time when uh, Kentucky was slowly working on, you know, prying Trey Lyles from Tom Crean's grasp. Um, so that was part of the reason why. Uh, I mean, just but, but just players in general that were in Indy um, was part of the reason why Calipari wanted to play there um, was, was to get, you know, basically just some hooks in some Indianapolis guys. But I think, uh, the bottom line, I think they'd be willing to do that because the question really is, is Louisville interested in letting Kentucky play a home, play a game in Louisville? And I don't know if they are. Um, I mean, I think Freedom Hall is less ready for that. And I mean, I think U of L ultimately has to be okay with the idea of Kentucky playing at the UM Center. And I don't think they are. Um, I mean, this, you know, I, I, I end up on a, on a Louisville radio show every week and basically from talking to those guys, it doesn't sound to me like Louisville would sign up for that. Um, so there needs to be third party, uh, 
As far as I know, anyway. I mean, I, I don't know like everything that goes on with agreements down there, or, or you know, who has to be okay with what. But I mean, that's Louisville's facility, and so if I'm Louisville, I wouldn't want Kentucky playing at my gym uh, without me there. Yeah, that makes so, sense. Yeah, so I mean, I don't know that. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think like there's a sensibility to that, and, and it would be a good, you know, as far as the building is concerned, it would make sense for the game. Um, but again, if, if I'm Louisville, I don't want Calipari anywhere near my place. Um, so I would say that they probably um, there there there's a real chance for either Gainbridge or you know I mean like I, I don't know that that place can be a Lucas Oil spot again because um, I think back in the day that's what they would have wanted you know is is that, that that's what Calipari would have pushed for is that hey like let's play Lucas Oil because his point was that's where they play Final Fours now is is you know big uh, closed roof football stadiums let's do one there. Um, so I wouldn't be shocked to see it twice in Indy, um, and then campus sites the other two. That would be that would be my thought. Interesting. And that was what was on the table for, uh, for you know Fred Glass's offer back in 2012 that Calipari didn't want. So things have obviously changed uh, somehow uh, since then. Dustin, if he didn't have an incredibly favorable for him buyout, how hot would Tom Allen's seat be right now, and is it warm at all? I'm sure, it, I, I'm sure it's got to be warm. Um, I don't think it's, you know, would he be fired at the end of this year? I mean, like, you know, it, 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 like obviously you, you, you imagine the contract in a whole bunch of different ways. If he did, if he was done at the end of this year, if he only had one on the table, if, if he only had one year left, uh, then he'd probably be out. Um, you know, you stack two bad years in a row like this. And, and if you were in a position where you have to determine if he's getting an extension, um, then he'd probably be moving on. You know, if, if you imagine him two years further in his contract right now, I mean, that's kind of more of a toss-up question. Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't have a great read on it right now um, as, as far as what that would be, what the hypothetical of that is. But the non-hypothetical point is he's still got $25 million remaining, and I just cannot see uh, Indiana pulling that move for a football coach. I just cannot see them getting them. They have boosters that care that much? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. But here's the thing, though. There's a lot of money even for a booster. I mean, they, they, they got $10 million for Archie. And I guess the one piece of it is, too, I mean, it does get mitigated. So whoever they got to, to pay for Archie's buyout, you know, like that's getting mitigated by him and by his contract at Rhode Island. I mean, you had to pay for one full year, and you had to presume one full year. I, I think that's the thing is that, that these guys can stay away for one year um, before you know somebody comes calling them and they're willing to get back in it. They're usually willing to take their one year off and, and take their buyout money and you know go do TV and that's not a, that doesn't mitigate all that much. Um, but man, twenty five million and and like you're still you know it's, you're on the hook at least for four point seven of that next year on top of whatever you're going to pay a new coach. So it's like when you're looking at like $8 million worth of Indiana football coach, you know, that that's how much you're paying on your salary. That's a lot. So, you know, bottom line, obviously things aren't going in a good direction and I'm sure nobody's happy about it. So, and I'm sure Scott Dolson isn't happy about it. Um, you know, obviously again, like Allen has goodwill both from winning in 2019 and 20 and the fact that everybody likes him. Um, so, you know, that creates some level of buffer. So does the buyout. But obviously, things are not trending well at all. You know, the the thing about that situation, let me ask you this, Dustin. Is there light, though, at the end of the tunnel in terms of the direction and the trajectory of Indiana football? Like, aside from the buyout, would you look at it and say, yeah, but they – and I don't know. Maybe the answer to this is yes. I, you know, they have great recruits coming in or they have this or that or, you know, I, is there reason for optimism? There's some, but there's also – 
there are counters. You know, I, I guess like the, you know, you certainly look at the fact that they were they were able to uh, maintain what's this? Uh, maintain the um, the twenty twenty two. Maintain the 2022 uh, recruiting class, basically. Like a lot of those guys, they had they had some losses, but they were still it was still the highest ranked class um, in in um, basically in the recruiting service era for for Indiana, and they were able to keep most of those guys. You know, and and some of them have been part of the rotation now, uh, but some of them, you know, that, that you're expecting in the future. You know, uh, Taiwan Mullins, brother Travell, um, you know, James Mons, you know, basically a bunch of these secondary guys. You've know, obviously seen Jalen Lucas come in and get some, you know, playing time right away and have the kickoff return for the touchdown, you know, uh, the other day. And, uh, you know, against um, against Rutgers, you have guys like Mark Cooper that they feel pretty good about. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys that you can say, well, maybe this guy gets better and maybe that guy gets better. And, and maybe you see, you know, this, this, you know, these people improve. And, you know, all of a sudden they're playing Khalil Benson and Josh Sales on the right side of the offensive line. And maybe those guys end up being anchors for your line and maybe that goes someplace. There's a lot of maybes of that. There's not a lot of, okay, definitely when this group comes together, you know, how, how can it fail? Um, I, I think that's a lot of the pieces to it is, you know, like you can talk yourself into thinking it's going to get better, but you can also talk yourself thinking in, into not. And, and I think the other issue is, you know, they were able to put a lot of that class, that 2022 class together you know, coming off of six and two in an outback bowl and, and being, in the, you know, likely being in the top 25. And, and then they were able to hold it together when things got bad. As I've said a, a lot of times, like it's really hard to say no to Tom Allen once you've promised him something. It's really hard to go back on a promise to Tom Allen. It's a lot easier not to make a promise to Tom Allen in the first place. Um, and so, you know, this year's class was always going to be smaller, um, but it's not very big at all. I think they've got maybe 10 or 11, and all of those guys are three stars, and none of them are sort of in that higher echelon of three stars as far as I can tell. Uh, but they're not any four stars, you know, where you had at least a couple of those spr- spring sprinkled throughout the last couple classes, um, you, you got to wonder, okay, you know, when he's taken two and 10 and, you know, potentially three and nine, uh, on, on the road, um, you know, is, is that recruiting going to dry up? You know, when he's not saying, Hey, look at the trajectory we're on, you know, Indiana's going someplace, you're going to be part of something special when it's, you know, we, we, we need your faith because we need you to trust that we're going to be better than three and nine. You know, that makes it a lot harder to, uh, to get players. So, I mean, like you can't imagine them getting better as some of this, this, you know, uh, freshman group, you know, moves in and becomes more of a part of the depth chart, you know, but, you know, the classes that are coming on the horizon, you know, as he's dragging this record around, uh, you got to presume that, that there's going to be fall off there. Again, Dustin DePirac, the Bloomington Herald Times. It is a off week for Indiana and Purdue. I'm sure coaches probably don't love it's seeing that. It's been an off on, week for Indiana for a month, Kevin. Uh, for, on <laughs> Halloween weekend, uh, probably not ideal for uh, those, those coaches, but uh, back in action coming up. Uh, is it Penn State out of the bye? Yes, yes, it's Penn State out of the bye. Penn State out of the bye. Then at Ohio State, at Michigan State, in the bucket. Uh, Dustin, as always, man, thank you. Yep, absolutely. Thanks for having me.